Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. I'm Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And tell me, Julie, do you have a lot of stuff in your house? Would you say you were a hoarder? Mm, I don't know that I would say that I'm a hoarder, but I do surprise myself when I open the closets and I think, oh, my God. What is what is all that stuff? Yeah, because it's like, yeah, I mean, I don't feel like I'm that bad either. Um, my wife is a very good influence on me because she'll throw things away at the drop of a hat, you know. She's a purger. Yeah, yeah definitely. That's good. And, uh, and so that, that cuts down on the clutter. But still, it's easy to be like, oh, I got a new phone. I should keep this old phone because who knows? The, the new one could break. I might need to fall back on this one. Or, you know, they'll, they'll be like, oh, I don't have time for this hobby anymore, but... Maybe I will someday. So I should just, I shouldn't throw it away or sell it or give it away. I should just put it in the attic for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel about my thigh master. Oh, I yeah. might use that one day as a weapon or. Yes. Yeah. Definitely as a weapon. You never know. Yeah. It could be, I think it could be retrofitted like into a small, um, you know, caliber catapult, you know? Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Some sort of sling device. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, again, it's a slippery slope. Before you know it, it's like the, um, the house that, uh, uh, that, that I'm, that we're in now that I, uh, that my wife and I bought that, uh, when we first got it, it was just loaded with stuff like three Christmas trees in the attic, that kind of thing, you know, cause it, the, the, the whole mindset can just go crazy. Uh, but what's interesting is that, um, when you look to, uh, nature, when you look to evolution, you see, uh, a similar kind of hoarding going on or, or maybe not outright hoarding, but definitely hanging on to things that, uh, that there's not really a use for anymore. Like a genetic Hoarding. Yeah. Yeah. Genetic and even, uh, like, just physiological hoarding. We're, of course, talking about vestigiality. Um, the, uh, occurrence of, uh, ves- vestigial organs, vestigial limbs, vestigial body parts, uh, in, in all animals, but, uh, particularly, uh, in humans. Okay. And so I'm thinking right off the bat, like, I've heard about whales with hip bones or leg bones. Yeah. Yeah. You look at, like, uh, a skeleton of a whale and you know the the head is very very pronounced uh you know all, all the the skeletal system is clearly really important except for this uh like a little pelvic area and these little like the remnants of hind legs that just haven't been used in forever but it's if the um it's as if the the whale's um body uh, on some like on a you know very basic level is like well who knows we might need to grow those legs out someday we might go back to land we've done it before so uh, we'll just we'll just keep this much around, huh? So it's sort of a a law of probability thing going on in nature. Yeah, that's the the thing that um, that keeps coming back to me as as we were looking at. It. I mean, on one hand, these are souvenirs of an evolutionary past. You know, they're they're pieces that no longer serve either. They don't serve a purpose anymore, or they don't serve the purpose they were intended for. Okay. But there's and there's and there's also a sense that evolution is kind of lazy. That it's not going to, you know, it's not going to fix anything that's not broken. Uh, but it also, it, it, it doesn't just throw something out. In the same way that, like, an animal doesn't, say, just suddenly grow an entirely new limb for some new purpose. Right. You know, it, 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 you know if, say, a small badger animal at some point in the, you know, primeval past needed to get inside a log to eat a grub. It wouldn't, like, grow, like, a fifth um, grub uh, grabbing, uh, instrument. You know, it would, uh, it would like develop like a tongue that could reach in or, or, or nails that could, could dig into the trunk. Right. You know, it works with what it has. And, and so it's like a similar, uh, vestigularity is, is like a similar thing in reverse. 
it seems where um where it's like you don't if you don't need hind legs anymore you don't just completely get rid of, of all the bones you just sort of retract you downsize that right. portion right but you do not to the point where you can't come back okay and so atavisms which are really closely related mm-hmm to vestigial organs and traits, I think are pretty fascinating too. And they're a little bit different in that uh, an atavism is basically a trait from like a distant, distant evolutionary ancestor. We're not talking about, you know, your great, great grandfather. (laughs) We're talking like 50,000 years ago Mm -hmm. where um, that particular piece of DNA gets expressed again. And, And the thing that comes straight to mind, the difference, I guess, between vestigial and atavistic are babies that are born with tails. Oh, yes, yes. Which is so crazy in the first place. Yes, actually happens. It's not just a... Um, National any, Enquirer yeah, headline. Bat boy or anything. Yeah, yeah, not bat... Yeah, exactly. It's not bat boy with a tail. Um, so if you think about turkeys, which are flightless birds, mm-hmm. and you see their wings, uh, those are vestigial, right? Yes. Because they're sort of imperfect versions of what they might have had when they were taking flight. Right. The, yeah. the ostrich is another example of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so if you look at a baby born with a tail, that's just sort of more of a evolutionary oddity. Mm-hmm. But it, yeah, and, and kind of but kind of like as if suddenly like there was a turkey that had like of all the turkeys, like suddenly there's a turkey that has like maybe larger wings kind of a deal because because uh, it's not like the, the baby's growing a tail for balance. No, but in it. But in a prior evolutionary form. It would have needed a tail for balance. And yeah, that's where yeah, that comes from. exactly. Like perhaps there were prehensile. Um, it was a prehensile tail that mm-hmm. you could use to wrap around a tree limb to support yourself. Even so, I mean there there are different ways that a tail could have been used in evolution. But every once in a while, whoop, okay. there it goes. So it's kind of like there's a an on off switch with a dimmer. In, in our genes. Yeah. And, it's, and over the years, uh, you know, evo- the evolutionary force decided, uh, hey, we don't really need this tail anymore. Let's dim that down to the bare minimum. Right. And, uh, and but then every now and then that uh, the dimmer switch gets brought up just a little bit. Right. And if you were unlucky enough to be born in the ninth century with a tail, well, it, it just wouldn't have been good news <laughs> for you, by the way. I just wanted to point oh. that out. Your mother would have been branded a witch, and you would have both been uh, disposed of because, obviously, a tale uh, looks as though it's something from the dark arts or mm-hmm. from the beast. Yeah, there's some sort of uh, a changeling left in the crib. Exactly. So that's, that's what, one of the really interesting things about vestigial and atavistic traits. Now, they just don't behave the way that you think they're going to. Yeah. Now, a lot of this... Um, it really comes out of um, the work of Charles Darwin. I mean, not the actual, <laughs> you know, traits and the actual appearance of things like tails, uh, et cetera, but um, but but our understanding of what these things are it comes from uh, from his 1871 book, The Descent of Man, and in this he identified about a dozen uh, different anatomical features that uh, he thought were useless uh, in that we don't use them the same way that other creatures do. So um, for Darwin, this is this was also proof that we. We evolved from a primitive ancestor, from primitive ancestors. Um, and, and it's interesting. There's another guy that came after Darwin who, like, like he really took on, took hold of this idea and ran with it. And his name was, uh, Robert, uh, And, uh, he was a, an anatomist. This is 1893. Okay. And, uh, he put together a list, uh, that had like 90 different things on it, which, which I find just amazing. Um, 
and and not to say that this was not a very learned guy. This guy was pretty. This was a very bright guy. He was. It was on the cutting edge of science in he, eighteen in eighteen ninety three. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Important to note. Um, and he and he was just he was he was just very it, well. He was just a little ambitious, maybe, and just a, a little too eager to uh, classify things. Uh, so you see this mentioned a lot, um, especially uh, by people who want to um, want to defend, say, creationism against um against evolution uh because uh, like people who are, who are proponents of, of evolutionary theory will often point out um uh, vestigial organs and limbs as as proof that that we've evolved and there's not some sort of divine force dictating what a body looks like okay uh and but they'll they'll um, but uh, creationists will sometimes throw this back like if you do a search for this guy's name uh on on the internet you'll find pretty much nothing but but uh, like random uh, blog entries or message board posts um, attacking um, evolution. So uh, what was the sort of the meat of his uh, theory or, or the... Well, well, that's the thing. The important, something that's not really mentioned in any of these lists is that the, the list it, itself is pretty particular. I mean, there are some like glaring things where he was like, people don't need three toes, the, th- the three end toes, like the pinky toe and then the, the other two. I forget which pigs those are. I was about to say the piggy that ate and the one that didn't, and then the one that went wee-wee all the way home. Yeah, he was like, we don't need those guys. The, uh, but it was the other stuff, like there was, like, there was uh, the, the lumbar lit rib. A lot of things on this list are kind of in medical ease, and I'm not really sure what they are, to be honest. But uh, uh, but, it, but it was very particular, and uh, and they were all things that he, he said that they, they don't actually have a function in the body. And therefore, they're just remnants of evolutionary past. Of course, over time, we looked at it in more detail and we realized, oh, wait, well, we actually do need this. This does serve a purpose. And uh, I, I imagine anybody that's missing three toes on each foot would probably be able to tell you that it's it's not ideal. No, no, particularly in heels. Yeah. So let's uh, let's go through some of these. Uh, these yeah. are the more common ones because because the list is not 90 strong anymore. It's uh, <laughs> they're really only a handful of really good examples. And and even some of those, as we'll discuss, um, you can go back and forth on. So um, wisdom teeth. Do you, do you have them? Yes. I Well, no, I have one. OK. Three have been extracted. And of course, like anyone, they were the bane of my existence. <laughs> Um, and the interesting thing about wisdom teeth, I think, is the, the moniker. And it is so-called wisdom teeth because they usually emerge between the ages of 17 and 25, mm-hmm. which I think back in the day uh, was thought to be when you had gained a good amount of knowledge and you'd become wise. Of course, we know otherwise that uh, the brain itself isn't even fully developed until age 25. Uh, but, but I digress. Um, so wisdom teeth... There are a couple of different schools of thought on this, okay. uh, on why they're vestigial. Now, one is hygiene. Um, if you were living 20,000 years ago, you certainly weren't brushing your teeth twice a day, and particularly not with fluoride. So um, you were probably missing a good amount of your teeth by the time that you turned 18, huh. which is probably, uh, I don't know, about half of your lifespan anyway. So mm-hmm. it would be really helpful if you got some wisdom teeth in, you kind of got to upgrade to your chompers. So that's one theory. Wow. So the, so basically, by the time your wisdom teeth came in, uh, some of your other uh, teeth would be ready to go. Like right. were, this is kind of like the second row of shark teeth. Exactly. Okay. Right. Right. You are you are wise and toothless at this yeah. point. And and getting on in years, I guess. Uh, looking like you know, if you're considering just like ancient, ancient man. Right? right. Right. I mean, how else are you going to be able to 
eat your tiger meat. So you've <laughs> got to, you've got to get, you've got to have something there in the wings. Um, the second school of thought is that as we evolve, that our jaws have actually gotten a lot smaller. So mm-hmm. it's pretty simple. Your wisdom teeth are getting crowded out. They're extraneous. Uh, they're a pain in the butt. Uh, they're unpleasant and, uh, they must be removed. Oh, good. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I probably will have to remove mine eventually, or have them removed professionally, rather. Because um, uh, mine are generally rather quiet, but then occasionally they'll just be really painful for like a week. Yeah, uh, they seem to do some sort of flare-up, some sort of like yeah. evolutionary like, hey, remember <laughs> me? Well, another uh, example is uh, is body hair. Uh, this is a, this one's rather obvious when you, when you look at it. Um, you know, a good head of hair... Uh, can help, uh, like maintain cranial temperatures, uh, and, you know, uh, but obviously it's not mandatory, uh, as any bald person will be able to tell you, or, uh, you know, just somebody who likes to shave their head. But, uh, but body hair used to be very important, uh, back in, uh, like, in, you know, way prehistoric days when, when we were, ju- you know, just naked creatures wandering a, a, a frigid landscape. We depended on really furry bodies to maintain temperature. Right. But of course, over time, we wandered into areas that didn't, uh, that, that weren't as cold. We went into, you know, warmer climates. We developed the ability to sweat. And, um, and, and uh, and eventually we figured out how to make clothes and, you know, to and build st- McMansions. And build McMansions, yeah. So, so yeah, body hair is a, is, is a great example of something that we, we really do not need. A lot of people get rid of it, uh, through one or regularly purge themselves of it. Uh, and uh, it's just a you know an evolutionary uh, trait from uh, from uh, the old days. Hmm. And yet it's so nice to have a stylish head of hair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking like back to sort of evolution, never throwing something out just in case it needs it again. Yeah. It's it's kind of an example of of where uh, where they're saying, hey, you may have sweaters and McMansions today, but what about next year? What about a hundred years from now? It might get pretty cold. Yeah. That nuclear winter. Yeah. Yeah. There might be another ice age coming. It's like, don't, you know, it's like, I know all you humans want to be like nice, pink and hairless, but, you know, just calm down. You might need it again. That's right. It's saying, hey, I'm in here for the long haul. Yeah. Yeah. I'm keeping it. Something I, to think about. Yeah. I don't know about wisdom teeth, though. Like, I, if if it is, a, if it's like actually the jaw has, has shrunk. Yeah. Like, I can't imagine it, there being a case where, I don't know, maybe there it is where our, eventually our jaw would get bigger. Or it's like nature's way of saying, hey, you can brush your teeth every day and live till 80 now, but, uh, you know, call me in a hundred years and see if that's the case. Yeah, it's, it's possible. I, I do think there's a logic behind it. And, um, I think another one of these traits, which I don't know if it would come back or not. We ha- we'll have to think about that is called Darwin's point. And it's also known as Darwin's tubercle. Okay. And it's basically a small, thick nodule on the upper earlobe that we think was meant to help focus sounds. Huh. To kind of hone in. So it's essentially a little fleshy antenna. I'm having a hard time picturing it since we're both wearing headphones. Well, I, can't I know feel now, it or see I, it. I now I want to peel back your headphone <laughs> and see if you have it. Um, but it's, it actually, in some, in some people, it looks kind of pronounced. It looks like little elfin, like a little oh, elfin ear bump. It's, okay. it's actually kind of cute. Um, but not everybody has this. This is more like an atavistic trait. Okay. Um, so in some populations, it only shows up like 10% of the time and others 50% of the time. It just sort of depends on where you live, what your uh, genetics are and so on and so forth. Um, but again, on it, you know, maybe in the future we will need some little 
antenna device to help us with sound. You never know. Yeah. Or it's kind of a, a case where it's like you're not using it, but hey, it's not like it's inconveniencing you. So no. nature's kind of like, like, you know, don't freak out. We're just going to keep this around in case you need it. It's not like you're tripping over it. No, you can yeah. dress it up for Halloween. Make it even more pronounced. This presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of tomorrow. Now, another interesting vestigial uh, trait is the vomeronasal organ, which uh, sounds sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a structure in the nose that would ideally be used to detect pheromones emitted by potential mates. Uh, In humans, though, uh, this, you know, like cats and dogs are big on this uh, and various other animals, um, which is why I actually have a little spray can of uh, cat pheromone to use. Just uh, on your desk? I just when I want cats attacking me and okay. you know, coming and laying all over me, um, <laughs> no, uh, to keep to in, to try and keep ours from uh, from urinating where it's not supposed to, uh. um, which we're not sure she does, but just in case, cat pheromones in spray form. Yeah, it's good to have around. Yeah, I did get myself in the face with it one day because uh, was spraying it on a vent and I didn't realize the vent was on, and so it's like three squirts of uh, cat pheromone and then whoosh, right back up in my face. <laughs> So I was followed all day by yeah, strays. Yeah, yeah, Your eyeball was licked a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Their scratchy tongue so weird on the eyeball. But uh, but no. So in humans, though, uh, it doesn't even appear to be connected to the brain in any way. The the vomeronasal organ. It's oh. like it's not even plugged in. It's it's like the if you have a toaster oven in your kitchen and you haven't used it in in ages, it's not even plugged in, but it's taken up counter space. So if it were plugged in, does that mean we would all be Sniffing each other? Uh, maybe, maybe. Okay. I don't know. I just sorry, I had to ask. Um, let's let's hope it doesn't turn on. Yeah, it, it would be. It would certainly change the culture a, a bit. It would be awkward. So apparently, uh, uh, embryos, embryonic humans, uh, actually developed this organ, um, and it's uh, and and at one point uh, in their development, it's 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 very much like the uh, vomeronasal organs in other animals, but then it uh, displaces and. Um, and it's pretty much just sort of set aside for the remainder. Like, so, so we always end up keeping it. It's all, it's there, but it's just never plugged in. Huh. Do you mind if I talk about nipples? Go for it. Okay. So male nipples. Male nipples. I mean, we, you know, the question always comes up every once in a while. Yeah. What are they for? Well, yeah. Why? I just wanted to say, and I hope, you know, this doesn't get too sensitive, but it's, it's completely normal. And, um, the short answer, the reason why men have nipples is because Women do. And actually, in other non-humans, this is true as well. Was Does this uh, fall back on the idea that the female is actually the the um, is actually the species and the male is just a mutation of the species necessary for procreation? I'd like to think so. But actually, this has to do with uh, nature sort of, again, the law of probability. Uh-huh sort of creating this in both males and females. Uh, so it's it's called genetic correlation, and it really is a game of probability. So even though sex is determined at the time of fertilization, mm-hmm. the gonads actually don't uh, turn into testes or into ovaries until the seventh week, and they don't expressing the they don't start expressing the gender until then. Oh, okay. Yeah. So just in it's just a just in case scenario. So it's kind of like if you have a. I don't know if they do this anymore, but used to. It's like if you if you if you purchase an automobile that didn't have like a cigarette uh, ashtray, like sometimes there would be you could see the space where it would be. 
Yes. So it's like the default car body, um, or, or just you know, like interior body or shell or whatever had the place for it just in case it was there. Right. Exactly. Okay. So just in case nature was like, you know what? Oh, this is gamble here. We'll, we'll go ahead and give nipples to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> All mammals, they get them. Um, and th- you might have actually even heard of something called witch's milk. Um, and this is actually produced in newborn infants. No. No. Yeah. And people kind of get freaked out about that because I think, well, my, why, why is my son lactating? Whoa, like a baby will lactate? Yeah, yeah, it's it's oh, rare. Oh my goodness, I did not. I knew about men lactating, of course. Yes, uh, but but babies? Yeah, which is milk? Yeah, which is milk? But wow. it, the reason is because uh, their their breasts are actually stimulated uh, when they're in their mother's womb because the the mother's hormones are crossing the placenta. Okay. So they're basically kind of they come out and they they still have some of those hormones in their system and they start lactating. So if this happens, it's it's actually not abnormal. It's fine. Wow. Yeah. So if you were if you happen to have been born in ye olden times as a baby with a tail <laughs> lactating. I'm sorry, yeah, you were toast. Wow. Yeah. It just wasn't looking good for you. Or your mom. <laughs> <laughs> so what uh, uh there's a debate here. So there are some people who say that actually that the nipples aren't vestigial uh, because it's more like, you know, again, that game of probability. Right. Um, they would be active if you were a female um, or at least actively lactating. Right. Um, so let's talk about a little bit like the like what is vestigial, what's not vestigial, some things that are up in the air. Yeah, because it's... um. You know, it, it's, it's like, we, like we said, some of these things are, are just in a process of maybe being phased out for the time being. And, uh, and some, and there are also cases, it's kind of like that list of 90 odd things. Um, it, you know, we came back around to some of those and said, well, wait, actually, you do need this. Actually, this does have a purpose. Toes are helpful. Right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so some of the, uh, the, the, um, items that we have, uh, considered vestigial in the past, uh, some, some scientists are saying, well, hold on. You know, I think that, think it might actually have this, uh, this uh, purpose uh, during you know this particular situation. Right. So, uh, so yeah, we're actually going to come to two of the biggies, uh, and the first of which uh, is the just the superstar of uh, vestigial organs, the appendix. That's right. It's uh, it's something that in humans uh, is sometimes reviled, only because appendectomies. Right. I don't know. We perform something like three hundred thousand of them a year, um, but in small plant-eating vertebrates. The appendix is actually pretty large, and it helps to digest food. Um, if you look at humans, it's just kind of a small, lonely pouch, and it's hanging out next to the large intestine and the small intestine. And then sometimes needs to be removed. And it's yeah, exactly. That's the yeah. the uh, appendicitis. Yeah. Um, so, but the thing is, is that it's uh, it's sort of a third wheel to digestion. It doesn't do anything. And the thought is that, like the plant eating vertebrates, at one point it did actually break down food. Mm-hmm. And aid in digestion. So that's what we know about it. Um, yeah, countless people have this. Do you have yours? I do have mine. Like in your body or not in a jar or anything? No, no, not okay. in a jar. Not yeah. yet. Yeah, I have mine still. In a inside jar? Me. Inside me. Okay, in a good. Jar. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, that's, it's like, uh, like, yeah, millions of people have this removed and it, everybody goes on just fine. Nobody's like, oh, I wish I hadn't. Had that, that appendix removed. Exactly. So a lot of people have thought, okay, well, it must be vestigial. It has absolutely no purpose. Right. 
And yet, uh, there's a, a growing uh, uh, debate on this. And uh, some people have uh, have pointed out that, well, first of all, when that appendix is still in your body, it is a producer of white blood cells and antibodies. So it's it's not just a, necessarily along for the ride. It may not be be meeting the same uh, purpose that it was originally there for, but it's it's still doing something. Um, of course, it could still be considered vestigial, uh, given that. But then, uh, then there's also this uh, where it really gets interesting is uh, the idea that the appendix uh, can repopulate the gut with microbes needed wow. to stave off infection. And where where this is key, it comes down sadly to the topic of diarrhea and dysentery. In the developed world, if you uh, it, first of all, you're probably less likely to get some strains of dysentery and diarrhea. And then when you do, you can go to your doctor or you can go to your drugstore and get something to deal with it. Um, in, you know, in the, in the past and indeed still in many parts of the world, that's, those options aren't necessarily on the table or as readily available. And so, uh, there's this, uh, this belief to really understand the appendix role. We need to be able to, uh, to, to look at, uh, at, uh, at developing countries and, uh, and look at, because we, we have the facts on its removal in the developed world. We okay. can say like millions of people have it done every day. No problem. But, uh, but, but, uh, they say we really need to look at people in the developing world. Um, you know, like portions of war torn Africa, et cetera, and see, uh, if, if there are people there with appendix removed, how they would fare, uh, given their, conditions. Uh, okay. So yeah. their exposure to many more diseases and so yeah. on and so forth. Right. So in this case, it would be, this would be an organ that would be vestigial to some, but mm-hmm. not to others. And, uh, and again, it's kind of like nature saying, Hey, you, you have, uh, you know, you have a Rite Aid down the road now and clean drinking water in your house. But, uh, you know, a hundred years from now, maybe not. And then you're going to come run into me, the appendix, <laughs> want me to pump you full of, uh, um, uh, uh, microbes to stave off your uh, dysentery. And if you're lucky and I haven't burst, <laughs> I will help you. Yeah. That's what I imagine the appendix to say back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, another vestigial, uh, I guess you would say trait or structure in this case would be the tailbone. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, coccyx. Cossacks? Cossacks. Okay. I always get that and the, um, the frozen lake and Dante's Inferno confused. What is that called? I don't know. Quick, 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 I don't know. I can't say it either. You're the one that knows Italian. Oh, but. yeah, but that doesn't know that I, that doesn't mean that I know the frozen oh, okay. lake. Gotcha. Sorry. That doesn't, oh, I will check into it though. All right. Uh, it's, it's on the tip of my tongue. I can picture the word in my head. Basta Roberto. Go on. <laughs> But uh, but anyway, the uh, we we mentioned some of this earlier about the the growth of a tail uh, that will happen occasionally, and so the uh, the tailbone is is kind of the same deal. What does it really do for us aside occasionally getting broken if you fall on your butt hard enough? Um, maybe not all that much. Uh, there's uh, I mean it, the whole idea is these are smaller and smaller vertebrae leading up to the tail that isn't even there. Right. So it's kind of a, a evolutionary road to nowhere. Right. You know. Yeah, but there are some people who say that Cossacks, it's, it's, uh, helps to anchor minor muscles and helps support pelvic organs. Yeah. And they say that, you know, there's, there's, uh, some evidence, but it's kind of weak evidence, I have to say, because you can have the Cossacks removed, or excuse me, the tailbone, and, uh, you can have little or no adverse effects. I mean, you can live without it. Yeah. If need be. It's kind of like, to use an example here at work, um, in uh, one of our meeting rooms, it's called the cool room. Uh, there is a cardboard box in the corner 
that apparently contains uh, a like, cat. No, not a cat. It contains. Uh, I think it contains like uh, Lidrox or something, like a, a product from another age. Right. And uh, but it's been in there forever. Those this product is not to my. I, I have no idea, but it, evidently it's not going anywhere. This package is. It just has no delivery uh, information on it. Um, whatever purpose it was originally intended for, it's obviously not meeting. Right, and How, it's it survived renovations. Right, right renovation yeah. after renovation. But I set on it every meeting that we have in the cool room, uh, at least for the the big editorial meetings. So while its original purpose is long gone, it has found a new purpose, and it, it works very well in that regard. So it's adapted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's very Darwinian of it. Yeah, you yeah. could you could remove it now and say, hey, this is pointless, but then where am I going to set? Right. So I, you would miss it. Yeah. So I think uh, a number of these things, uh, well, the appendix and the uh, the tailbone seem to fall into those potentially fall into those categories, where the original you know full blown purpose may not be applicable anymore, but they still have important roles to play. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we don't want them to go away. So Robert, tell me about your toes and fingernails. Um, well, my fingernails are fine. Uh, my toes, however, uh, well kept. Look, they look good. Yeah. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, my toes, my toenails at times have proven a problem, uh, to the point where I've wondered what's up with them. Like, why do I have toenails if they're just going to, um, you know, break when they uh, run into tables? Uh, if and they're going to end, end up growing weird into like the side of my toe. So I've had to have this uh, procedure done. Uh, forgive me, I don't know the name of it, but basically, uh, the doctor goes in, cuts off, cuts out a side of the toenail, and then kills the nail bed. So I still have toenails. You know, I'm not. Yes. You know, I just want to get that out there. But they've been altered so that they don't uh, grow so mind-numbingly painful. Anymore, and I've run into other people like a a, a friend of mine, uh, uh, this guy Michael. It's like I was talking to him one day. It's like he's like, oh, I had that procedure done. Uh, and then my uh, my actual uh, podiatrist, he he's had it done as well. So, so you feel like maybe the the toenails they could. Well, I just think they, there's something. We could lose up. them, maybe. Well, I don't know if we. Well, maybe we could lose them. I mean, I haven't had to like actually like dig in the dirt with my toes before. Um, I mean, not. I mean, maybe recreationally, but, you know, not for a, an actual survival purpose. We don't want to hear about your weekend stuff here. <laughs> but I mean, seriously, it's like if, if I'm having to go to the doctor to have them change so that they don't hurt, there's something, there's something up. Maybe the design is a little outdated. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'd go with that. That yeah. we maybe we want them, but not necessarily the way that they are. Yeah. Um, I do say that I think that the fingernails are still pretty useful. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. In fact, I, I know, um, one guy that uses his pinky nail. Uh, to actually screw things in. Oh, yeah? I th- you thought I was going to go somewhere else with that, didn't you? Oh, well, I don't know. <laughs> Long pinky nails, yeah. Um, but, uh, so, you know, they can still be used as tools. Yeah, I mean, I mean, anybody who's, I, I mean, you use them to pick up stuff all the time. Yeah. Um, scratching, it may not be the ideal thing to do, but I mean, how would you, like, scratching would be a whole different ordeal if oh, you could only, God. like, rub a mosquito bite. Can you, yeah, can you imagine? Yeah. That would be torture. So I, I think, yeah, nails are not going away anytime no, soon. No, no. And, and then I guess there's something, too, about keeping bacteria away or I don't even know or something about... Or storing it for later. Yeah, I was going to say, that doesn't sound quite right. Hygiene, I guess. <laughs> I'll have this for later. Um, but that does make me think, like, what it, what are we going to look like in 500 years? You know, what what might become vestigial for, for us humans? Yeah. Yeah, again, we're not going to, you know, develop new organs or limbs you know, to, to tackle new problems. But, uh, you know, some new problems may arise. Some problems will continue to disappear. So, yeah, will we become completely hairless? I, I'm going with that. 
will all of us lose these annoying wisdom teeth? I hope so. I certainly do. Uh, will we no longer have toenails? Hmm. It's possible. We'll see. So if you want to know more about uh, this topic, um, you should uh, come to the HowStuffWorks.com website and check out the How Vestigial Organs Work by Molly Edmonds. Um, you should read How Atavism Works by Katie Lambert. And we also have one on How Natural Selection Works by Ed uh, Grabianowski. That's right. I said it right? Okay. Ed Grab, as we call him. Ed Grab. Yeah. So for more information on why you do or do not have a tail, uh, check out those articles, and we'll catch you next time. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes.